The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And today, before I start, I do want to remind you that there is a website that is associated with this podcast. It's called wealthformula.com. That's where the podcast lives and breathes and is delivered to the entire universe from. Check it out because there's lots of things, resources that people like you may be interested in there. Free stuff, free books, free webinars. It's also where you're going to go if you want to get off the sidelines and participate in some things and you happen to be an accredited investor. That's where you'd sign up for Investor Club. But anyway, long story short, check it out. Don't avoid it. It is a necessary piece of this entire program that we do here, wealthformula.com. Now, as for today, I want to talk a little bit about a concept that I think is really important. Okay, because what we do in this space, in the quote unquote real asset space, right, where it's not just paper assets, where it's not just stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and all that, it's an important topic. You see, I've made some pretty darn, I would say, very good bets, especially the last three or four years that have made uh, me quite a bit of money. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're thinking that I'm referring to my investments. You're thinking, well, gosh, yeah, you bought these buildings. I heard about that, and you had these huge returns. That's not what I'm talking about, actually. You're right in that I'm talking about investments, but what I'm referring to is not financial investments at all. What I'm referring to is investments that have made me the most money over the past few years, and those are investments into relationships. Yes, relationships. You see, as it turns out, I don't consider myself very special, smarter than, you know, a bunch of people or or anything like that. But what I do have, in my opinion, if you say what's your superpower, I think that I have this a superpower in the sense of being able to read people. And I characterize this sometimes as Spidey sense. I am, of course, referring to Peter Parker and his web swinging alter ego's ability to sense imminent danger, right? By the way, I can't take credit for that Spidey sense thing. That was from Ian Kurth, and he he brought that up when I described this whole thing uh, in uh, Wealth Formula Network, which is our private community, which, by the way, if you're interested in that, go to wealthformularoadmap.com. But I was describing this thing that happens when I'm talking to somebody and, you know, it's usually related to business or, you know, some kind of product or something. I just get a bad feeling sometimes. And I hate to say it, but usually I'm right. Usually I'm right. I've had this happen to me before where, you know, people I trust have introduced me to somebody or, you know, a group or whatever. And I talk to them 
And even though the person I get introduced to, I trust, I talk to that group or that person and I'm like, mm, yeah, something ain't right there. And man, it has really saved me big time. I'm telling you, it has saved me big time. You know, as ridiculous as it may sound, I credit my spidey sense for staying out of a lot of bad deals and away from many charlatans out there in the investment world, particularly in the podcast ecosystem, I should point out. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, early in my investment career, I got burned too, you know, and I'm talking specifically about shady characters and stuff like that. In retrospect, though, the signs were always there. If I go back and I think about those initial interactions, I'm like, why did you trust that dude? You know, and if I had harnessed my senses better, had more confidence in my visceral responses, I could have probably avoided some mistakes and losing some money. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that if you follow your spidey sense or my spidey sense that you're always going to make money or that there's no risk in investing. There's always a chance you're going to lose money. That's just the bottom line. I don't care what you're investing in. They say even, you know, maybe U.S. Treasuries are the only thing that it's even legal to say are, uh, you know, zero risk. There's risk to everything, no matter what, you know, no matter what, right? Uh, there's a risk to not investing your money because uh, hyperinflation comes in and or inflation happens, right? We're in the middle of some fairly significant inflation right now, it seems. And if you do nothing with your money, the risk there is that every year your money is losing value. So the only guaranteed way that, you know, to lose money, not the only one, but certainly one of the guaranteed ways to lose money in the sense of buying power is to let it just sit in the bank while inflation happens. But here, listen, on point again, as it comes to investing, because that's what we talk about in this show, as long as you win a lot more times than you lose, you're going to do just fine. Believe me, I know I'm speaking from experience. And the way you mitigate those losses are to align yourself with competent individuals with high integrity. So, you know, you've heard me talk about this concept, no like and trust, right? It's a requirement for me when it comes to partnering or investing, you know, anything related to that, uh, doing business together. However, it's not just about that. That's the other thing that I learned in my past. It's not just about no like, and trust because you can know, like, and trust a lot of people. I mean, you know, like, and trust, you know, your brother-in-law, my brother-in-law happens to be very competent, but I'm just saying, for example, if you know, and like trust in uh, your, your brother-in-law, but that doesn't mean that your brother-in-law is competent, right? That person may not have all the good will in the world, but if they don't know what they're doing, you know, you got to stay away. So you can't give anybody the benefit of the doubt on competence because somebody may believe they have competence. They may have confidence that they have competence, but you have to have something uh, to back that up. So these are the things you got to know, like trust, and then you have to look for competence, evidence of competence, you know, there's that whole saying again, your net worth is equal to your network. And that is true. That's why, right? When you know smart people who are good at making money and you have, uh, you know, a few of these people around you, you're going to make money probably. Okay. I'm not saying again, I'm not making any guarantees here, but that's been my experience. Having relationships with good people who you trust, who are incredibly smart and good at what they do is absolute gold. There is nothing better. 
for me, that's guys like Dave Steele, Janet LePage uh, over at Western Wealth Capital, obviously Tim McCleary, Dante Andrade. It also includes, you know, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, one of my favorite entrepreneurs that I know. I'm probably the most prolific entrepreneur that I personally know and one of the smartest guys I know. His name is George Newberry. And I can honestly say that whenever I have a problem, seriously, I was buying a house recently and I had, uh, man, all sorts of issues going on because it was a house that needed some work, couldn't get it conventional. Yeah, whatever. Long story. Who do I call? I call George. George helps me. Problem solved. I had a friend who had a similar issue with regards to buying a, a hotel. And the first guy I called, I'm like, you got to call George. George will know how to fix it. George will know how to get it done. I can honestly say whenever I have a problem, George is the one of the first guys I call. And that's why I keep having him on the show. He is by far and away the most frequent guest on this show, by the way. He knows his stuff and he's always got great wisdom to share, lots of things. And he is an honest guy. He really is. I had an email from somebody recently, you know, essentially suggesting otherwise. And I, I really took issue with it. And, you know, that was resolved pretty quickly. But I will say George is a guy I trust. And, uh, you know, I'll do business with him on a handshake. Anyway, this week on Wealth Formula Podcast, George is going to update us on the area that he knows best. And that is the area of single family residential market, single family home market. And more importantly, maybe a little bit surprising for me is that he sees some trouble on the horizon here. And so anyway, we're going to talk about this in detail when we come back from these messages. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is a friend of the show. He's been on more than anybody else. He's also a friend of mine. He is the founder and chairman of AHP Servicing. His name is George Newberry. George, welcome back. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me back on. I'm so, trying to stay. I'm trying to stay ahead of the rest of the pack. I know. In terms I of think number of times, number of appearances on your show. Yeah, I think you've at least. I think you're at least two or three ahead 
Uh, okay, skill, good. Let's skill. keep it that way. Yeah, yeah. So, so George, okay, so you've been on a number of times, and in the last few shows, we've sort of jumped to the meat of the content, which was what's going on right now and that sort of thing. But since we started, and you started coming on, I think the first time you came on, there might have been about 10 listeners to the show, and now, you know, we have about over 20,000 uh, downloads per month. So... Tell us a little bit about your background, what you did, and what and what you're doing now. Sure. You want to start at the beginning? Yeah, start at, you, the, I, start at the, well, I mean, it depends. <laughs> I'll start, I'll, no, I'll, I'll give a brief history. There's a um, book on that, right? Yeah, so. There's a book on that, that's true. Uh, yeah, for the full history, there's a book called Burn Zones that's available on Amazon that you can learn. The full story, but I'll give the short, the, the abbreviated version. I started buying real estate in 1992. I bought a four-unit building, and then I bought a 19-unit building, then a 60-unit building, and I kept buying bigger and bigger. And what I would do is buy the biggest, most troubled properties that I could find in the country and I turned them around and I had great success doing this and uh, I made a lot of money. The challenge is that my biggest building I ever bought was one called Woodland Meadows in Columbus, Ohio, 1100 units. And that property got hit by an ice storm, which triggered an extraordinary sequence of events, uh, which resulted in me going from owning 4,000 apartments and having a net worth in the tens of millions to losing everything and being $26 million in debt. So quite a turnaround of, the, not the way you want it to go. Yeah. Uh, and I rebuilt myself through uh, American Homeowner Preservation, which started out as a, a nonprofit with a mission of keeping families at risk of foreclosure in their homes. It's since evolved and now is, uh, it's been a for-profit for more than a decade. And in the last decade, we bought more than 10,000 defaulted mortgages. And, and our strategy now to achieve that same social mission is to buy defaulted mortgages at discounts from banks and hedge funds and then go to the families and uh, try to work out consensual solutions. For instance, if they want to stay, we can often provide them a uh, loan modification, which is to share some of the discount with them in a form of reduced payments, forgiveness of principal and or forgiveness of, uh, of some of the delinquent amount that they owe. And uh, so it's been successful and it's, it's evolved. Uh, we now are a national mortgage servicer, AHP servicing. We also have a platform where we uh, sell defaulted mortgage notes one by one to local investors called Pre-REO. I'm a partner law firm called Activist Legal, and which handles foreclosures and, and default services across the country. And we are now soon starting a title company, uh, AHP Title Company, not starting it, actually we're buying an existing title insurance company. Uh, so it's evolved into several related and interconnected businesses that all work towards the same mission of keeping families uh, risk of foreclosure in their homes. And, uh, right, and in addition, we have a, a nationwide mortgage originator, which tries to uh, originate micro mortgages. So the majority of our work is done in low and moderate com communities and to whatever strategies we can utilize to uh, do social good as well as make a profit. Well, uh, and that's all, George? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like I missed that originator. I mean, geez, I consider myself a, an entrepreneur, but this, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of taking it to the next level, my friend. But let's, you know, the, the, uh, the common theme for the last gosh, almost, I guess, almost 30 years for you now here has really been in residential homes, mortgages, that kind of thing. And when you started, maybe you can talk a little bit about what the environment was like when you first got into the space of non-performing notes, because that was what year? That was right pretty close to the Great Recession. 
Right. Yeah, 2008. AHP started in 2008, which was the last downturn started. You know, we're we're anticipating now another downturn. Uh, but in 2008, Cincinnati, Ohio, property values collapsing. You know, significant disruption to the economy, especially the housing uh, housing markets. Yeah. And then so what have you seen since that time? And when you talk about it in terms of cycles and you actually just reference that you see something potentially coming up, obviously, since that period of time, there was a gigantic boom. And what what did you see happen in the housing market and as it relates to you know, defaults and that kind of thing, say up until pre-COVID? Sure. When we first started 2008, massive number of foreclosures, massive number of, of REOs for sale, just huge supply, limited demand. So prices kept dropping, dropping, dropping for real estate. That lasted 2009, 10, 11, 12, uh, 13, 14, you started seeing a floor. And in some cases, you started seeing appreciation on a modest level. Uh, and that continued for several years. And I'll tell you, when we first started buying defaulted mortgages more than 10 years ago, we entered as a buyer, very small buyer, working with maybe a million dollars. And we were buying from some of the biggest banks in the country. And that was uh, awesome. But the, the, the reason for it was because there were so few buyers, huge amount of defaulted mortgages, right. not that many buyers. So the, these sellers will sell to anybody. As this market improved. So by the way, that value. means huge discount. Huge discounts. Huge discounts. Okay. Yeah, we'd be buying, uh, you know, a loan. I mean, this is a typical loan back then, and it's evolved. But we would buy a loan that was they owed a hundred thousand. The property value was only fifty because the property values had dropped. We could buy that loan for twenty thousand dollars, and that was a tip. That was a pretty typical um, numbers on loan that we purchased. Now, over time, that twenty became twenty five became 27, even started to hit 30. And that was just the passage of time where the real estate market became more predictable, stronger. Uh, instead of think people thinking, when we first started buying, people thinking that, oh, this may go down. Uh, now they're thinking, okay, how much is this going to go up? And, uh, and that continued uh, to the point where in 2019, when we had started uh, the newest fund, HP Servicing, we went, we stopped taking investments because we were having trouble investing the money that we were raising because the prices, there were still loans available, but the prices had gone so high. It just didn't make sense in many cases to buy. And then COVID hit. And COVID, I thought, was going to be that inciting incident where this long uh, up cycle, which was longer than, than historic averages in terms of the upward part of the cycle. Uh, so it was due for a downturn. And usually there's a trigger. And in this case, I thought, OK, COVID's going to be the yeah. trigger uh, and all, everything's going to start uh, crashing down. And the opposites happened. The market has experienced almost another up cycle on top of the prior up cycle without the middle down cycle. And not only that, it's compressed. We've had a 20 to 30 percent appreciation in more or less a year. And so it's compressed the time frame. So, I think the, so let's I mean, talk not, a little bit about why that might be, because to me, what I'm thinking, uh, what happened during COVID is, yeah, I think a lot of people thought, yeah, hell's about to break loose and that kind of thing. But then you had these, you know, essentially moratoriums on, you know, people being able to stay in their house. You had huge stimulus so that people could actually pay their mortgages and all those things. So huge amounts of government support probably meant that what you would expect in terms of inventory of defaulted loans didn't happen. Is it, Do you think that that's right or is there something else? I think you're absolutely right. You touched on two big things. One is the foreclosure moratoriums, which have done two things, have constrained inventory. Also, uh, you know, a lot of families that maybe are struggling 
uh, the right, you know, the right part of that is that they, they've been able to stay in their homes in many cases without paying. Uh, and the other part is the government stimulus, which has been extraordinary in scope and has just flooded the system with cash, which I think two artificial ingredients, which have made, uh, probably prevented the downturn, but um, maybe had some unintended consequences. I don't think that they were, that the intention of, of all this, this uh, flood of cash into the system was to fuel a significant appreciation in, in asset values. And that's what's happened uh, in many asset classes and particularly real estate. So again, it's artificial components to this uh, surge. You know, you couple the stimulus um, with the foreclosure moratoriums and with the record low interest rates, and you put all those combinations together and you have the super robust uh, real estate market. But those factors cannot I mean, it's artificial. Those factors are not market driven. They were programs by our government that won't last. And you pull those out and I think they'll be, it'll be fairly ugly what's really, what's really there. And these have masked, these artificial ingredients have masked the true damage to the economy, which I think is, I mean, there's certainly industries that have done well. There've been COVID winners, uh, but there's a lot of losers in there. And I think a lot of families have been financially ravaged and businesses too. And, you know, once the PPB money runs out, the stimulus runs out and maybe the interest rates start upticking, that will be exposed. And, and I think that will be, you know, at some point there's a trigger for the, for the downturn. And I, I think we're on pretty weak footing, you know, that the, the ingredient, a big, a big ingredient for the our federal government to intervene when things are going wrong is to lower the interest rates. You can't really lower them any lower than they are today. So you have a weak economy and low interest rates. So you I, still I think it'd be very challenging. Yeah. You know, you, you're absolutely right. And I just wonder about the pattern of government, both fiscal stimulus, you know, the interest rates from the Fed and buying back bonds and then all the government intervention together, you know, the, there's always a question of, does it have to stop? And one of the questions, you know, I've been asking myself is maybe they just don't think they have to stop at this point, right? I mean, so what's ultimately happening with all of this intervention is we are seeing real inflation. And so the question is, you know, in your mind, obviously you think there's a downturn. I mean, the 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 Fed, are, are, you know, interest rates are not going to go up unless it's really something that the government and the Fed are okay with, right? I mean, they have a lot of different ways to artificially suppress those rates. So what do you think when you when you think of the trigger, what's the trigger? What and when do you think this is happening? Yeah, it's tough to say what it will be. It's it can often be an emotional one, something that we don't see coming, like COVID. I mean COVID should should it probably should be a have trigger. Been. Yeah, right. Uh, but it could be emotional sentiment, political change. Uh it's hard to say what would be the trigger. I mean, but I'll I'll be I'll make some predictions which I would not put a wager on. But here's what I would think it's going to happen. Uh, these foreclosure moratoriums will continue through the end of 2021. I think that's highly likely. In fact, I think they'll even be expanded in yep. scope. Uh, and that will um, keep the market robust like it is right now and probably even continue to appreciate somewhat. 2022, those foreclosure moratoriums and other consumer protections will start expiring, roll back. But there'll be significant regulatory pressure and government pressure on mortgage holders and servicers to not foreclose and instead to work with the consumers to try to find solutions to keep them in their homes. And I'm talking about foreclosures, but there's also similar protections, voluntary and involuntary on other types of debt that consumers may be struggling with. And so I think 2022 will be a year of modifications of, of other types of workout programs that do help some families get back to the point where they can pay. And uh, But 2023 uh, would be the year that I think 
now there's we've had a year of trying to work these things out with these families some of them have made it and then the whoever hasn't 2023 uh, i think will be a crushing year in terms of foreclosures and then now you're going to start seeing uh, significant inventory flooding the market uh, and that may not happen in late 2023 or 2024 as as these processes move through the um, the court system but at some point maybe late 2023 2024 you start seeing a flood in the market of uh, distressed assets and that will dampen prices. Prices will start going the other way. And then, I, you know, I think the unfortunate consequence is that people who bought, buy today, who are buying it 20 to 30% more than these homes were worth a year ago, now fast forward a year or two and these property values start going the other direction. And they're sitting on, they put down 3% and now they owe you know, 97,000 on, on a home that has now, uh, you know, the home across the street, identical home is selling for 70 or 80. The people, even if they can pay, at some point they're going to say, you know, why should I be paying? I'm totally underwater. I'm never going to get back where I want to be. I'm just going to stop paying my mortgage. And now that's, this is what happened last go round. And then you start seeing, okay, now it gets even worse. Uh, so I start seeing this thing where it got better and better and better. Uh, and now it gets worse and worse and worse and the damage uh, expands. So hate to pay, paint a bleak picture, but we've seen yeah. this movie before. Uh, well, and I think it's coming back. Let me, this do is you like think sequel. that there's a difference in terms of what happens with the housing markets at the high end versus the middle and lower end? Or do you think it's all the same? You're right. Oftentimes there's a home or price ranges fair, particularly better or worse than others. This go round though, this post COVID bump in values has been almost uh, across the country in almost all price ranges. Uh, and that I think is, uh, means that it's going to negatively impact, uh, you know, the, the, the comeuppance is going to affect the same thing all across the country, all price ranges. I think we'll see. Um, I mean, at some point, it, it'll go slowly. It won't be a bloodbath day one, but I think it turns into a bloodbath. Yeah. And I hate to say that. I'm not saying that cavalierly because the problem is, you know, behind all that blood are real families who are stuck in real pickles and they're doing a good thing today by buying a home, thinking that's the right thing to do. And it may well be. I mean, in fairness, to step, step back, one of the reasons people are buying today is they're saying, hey, my, I'm paying $2,000 a month for rent. I'm, buy, I'm buying this home with a fixed rate 30 year mortgage and all in I'm paying 1500. That totally makes sense to go. So in some of these families, hopefully we'll get to that point where maybe they are underwater, but the housing cost is still affordable enough and makes sense that they will continue to pay their pay their mortgage and, and, and see it through. Because eventually, as you see, you know, the people who did make it through 08, 09, 10 made it to the other side. You know, many of them have been, uh, you know, now their home values have been restored and in some, in most cases have, have gone up. So, but I do fear that there will be big challenges. At the same time, we're paying back, you know, all the government stimulus, all the low interest rates, all these things are not good long-term for our economy. At some point, these artificial ingredients will have their unintended consequences will start to show, and that will probably have some negative impacts on some families' abilities to pay, some uh, some industries and whatnot. Well, that makes me feel good about just buying a house right now. <laughs> you have to get out. I mean, I, I know you're buying a house right now. If, you, if you're going to buy there long-term, it's such, I mean, it's yeah, really you'll challenging. Be, you'll Right, but, but if you, you get out of there, I yeah. mean, if, you're, if, you're, if your intention is to buy it, fix it up, and then resell it, and you can exit in this market, it could be fantastic. But this is just, look into this like a pyramid scheme. You know, pyramid schemes, everyone wins until yeah. the last people in, yeah. and the last people in lose. That's and right. so, uh, you, I mean, from a business perspective, you need to buy it now, exit into this market, you probably do very well. If you wait, takes too long, though, and you're exiting after this pyramid has collapsed, 
you know, then 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 you're the last guy in, and 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 that may be unfortunate. Or you just say, "Hey, I'm going to stay in this forever, and you'll be fine." You yeah, that's true. To get paid, it still so. feels weird though when you're sitting in a house where it's twenty percent more than it. You're you're paying yeah. on a mortgage twenty percent more than it's all oh, for sure. It's for worth sure. it. Just to, uh, well, it just doesn't feel good. So on that depressing note, yeah, yeah. So so George. How does, you know, because you have, you know, obviously your, your past is in the apartment space, right? And, and that's kind of, that's a lot of what, what I do and through our real estate syndication stuff. How do you think that the crises that you would uh, foresee happening in the mortgage space, how do you think that those things will affect rentals, apartment buildings, things like that? In in some ways, you would think that, you know, those kinds of properties might benefit from an onslaught of people needing to rent. But I, I, I'm just curious how you how you see those two things interplaying or how they have historically. Yeah. I, OK, so historically, I think you're right. There will be more people you want. Today, there's people coming from rental renters turning them into homeowners and that's great that's the way it should be uh, but in a downturn it's likely that some of those homeowners will go back to being renters unfortunately and so operationally that could be good in terms of demand for apartments i get a little nervous on the apartment investing side though a lot of the high prices because some of these multifamily properties are selling for extraordinary prices today and that's a major primarily driven by these low interest rates for sure so at some point these rates go up i mean the numbers are just going to dictate a lower value. You almost can't go any lower than today's interest rates. So that there has to be, uh, I, I think in a downturn, you're going to see some, just like last time, you're going to see single family homes went down. So did multifamily. And I think, I think the same thing will happen. I don't think there, yeah. there's an exception where they'll, they'll be able to survive uh, any better than single family. I think the, I think the goal in those types of situations for people who are looking for, you know, investing is to do not try to speculate quite as much, right? I mean, if you can buy something that is cash flowing, you create value, you can drive up rents now and create stability, you're much better off than, you know, just going in there and trying to flip homes and hope that the game of the musical chairs. Yeah, I mean, if you could, like long-term, even Bitcoin, look at Bitcoin. Uh, and I know you're familiar, yeah. uh, very right. familiar, more, probably more than me. Uh, but look at the wild market fluctuations that it's experienced over the last few years. If you get out in a panic when it's down, or you buy in a, you know, in a euphoria when it's up, they're, 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 uh, it's just, you see on a, on a much greater basis, these wild fluctuations that have occurred. And yeah. I think my point is, if you can withstand those, stay the course, um, you know, You'll probably do okay in the end, uh, as you, you know, wild roller coaster ride. Right. Uh, so same thing with real estate. It's just like it's not so wild. It's gonna it moves more in slow motion. Uh, but at some point, you'll start feeling, hey, these things are going. Right now, it's going up. You know, then it's going down. You know, if you're if you're gonna jump out as soon as it starts going down, then that may not be optimum. Let's talk a little bit about AHP servicing these things that you're talking about, specifically the potential for negative activity in the housing market actually benefit HP servicing as a business. Absolutely. So basically the idea, and I'm just going to try to sum this up for people who are trying to understand this, because they, obviously HP has been a sponsor of, of the show for a long time. We have the commercials. So what AHP does is basically goes in and for people who are struggling, they buy these mortgages for less than the people actually owe. And then they negotiate. They try to negotiate with the homeowners to try to keep them in the home, basically trying to get a maybe a mortgage that they could pay, maybe forgiving some of what's owed on the back end and that kind of thing. So in that regard, it's a very you know socially responsible type business. 
The only other options, I guess, they would have in that situation if somebody can't do that then would be to foreclose, which they don't want to necessarily do. Or, you know, you could potentially pay somebody to leave and then sell off the asset. But the goal of AHP servicing, as I understand it, George, is really to keep people in the house. Is Did I kind of get that right? You did. Okay. Uh, I'll just add one component is that in addition, and historically, all we did was buy mortgages. Uh, now there's an added component that we buy and service mortgages for both the owns, ones we own and owned by third parties. And that has, uh, so, so that outreach, that mission to achieve consensual solutions uh, in a rapid fashion, which is what we try to do. Um, now we do it not just on loans we own, but for third parties. And once that downturn hits, you know, there's, there's a lot of money, a lot of people, especially right after COVID hit, a lot of people were raising a lot of money. Hey, the downturn is going to come. We're going to buy these defaulted mortgages and other types of debt and um, try to make money to do that. And that just hasn't, there has not been uh, a whole lot of lo- loans to buy. So that hasn't been the case yet. But once this downturn hits, we want to be in a position to service for a- any you know mortgage holders who have those defaulted mortgages who need um, high touch servicing to work them out. One of the nice things about, there's a couple of really nice things, features about HP servicing as an investor that I think are useful to know. One is that you don't have to be accredited. So I know all the uh, the emphasis a lot of times and what we talk about in this group is private investing, people who are accredited. And then if you're, you know, if you are accredited, you join our back end uh private group uh, and prove that you're accredited and and have that kind of thing. But you don't need to do this. If you're a listener, you're not accredited and you've even got a few hundred bucks, you can participate, right? George, you want to explain how that works? Yeah, exactly. It's a minimum investment of $100. Uh, We accept accredited and non-accredited investors. Accredited investors can invest as much as they want. Non-accredited, there's limits based on your um, income and and or net worth. But yeah, it's basically open to everybody. And uh, I think that's one of the unique things. And we made the entry, um, you know, that minimum investment as low as possible in order to uh, make the investment as accessible. What's the situation with liquidity? I know this is kind of a been an issue just in terms of, I mean, the goal is to be able to, you know, which is a unique aspect of of this fund is to be able to retrieve your funds if you need them. How, how is that? uh, How does that work? Yeah, sure. So we call our best efforts redemption feature and how it works is investors who need their money back for any reason can request that it's um, returned to them and that their investments redeemed uh, and will undertake our best efforts to redeem within 30 days. And historically, we were able to do that. And it was a nice, you know, hey, people invest thinking, you know, hey, I don't need this money. But then all of a sudden they find a great opportunity or life circumstances change. Uh, business circumstances change and they need the money back and they can get it. And we have, through the beginning of COVID, we were doing just fine with that. Um, and by and large, we're, we're redeeming within 30 days. But once COVID hit, we had an extraordinary spike in redemptions. You remember back then, you know, businesses were struggling. Uh, stock market was fluctuating wildly mm-hmm. and people needed their money to make payroll, to cover margin calls and uh, all kinds of other reasons and or they were just nervous about you know what's going to happen so uh we had an unprecedented number of redemptions uh which we're still working through we've made huge progress i think in the last 30 days we've uh, redeemed you know there's millions of of dollar of redemptions uh completed in in the last 30 days or in process to be done in the next uh 15 days so a lot of money has been redeemed but it's still we're still working on a significant backlog so Right now, I would invest uh, knowing that that feature is there, and I'd expect within the next few months, we'd be back to returning within 30 days, uh, but now that has not been the case. One other caveat to that, if you do redeem early, 
uh, in the first year, we typically, your return is reduced by 2%. And if it's done in the second year by 1%, after two years of being invested in full, there's no offset. What's been the record in terms of meeting the expected returns? Sure. So we were doing... Um, extraordinarily well through uh, my last full year was 2017. We had an over 40% return. Uh, We changed leadership for 2018 and 2019. And those returns went to the single digits. I came back in mid mid 2019 and made some significant strides. COVID hit and uh, we, our returns have not been where they should be. Um, But there's huge asset value, just assets that we own. And luckily with COVID, as we talked earlier, those assets have gone up in value. So today uh, what's happening is we are selling uh, all the all the loans we didn't sell any any loans uh, at scale since I came back aboard in mid mid 2019. Today we are selling all our paying loans, so all the loans that are reperforming. We're selling these often in the in the 90s, so 90, 91, 92 cents on loans that we oftentimes purchase for you know 50 around 50 cents. So huge gains, which are in the portfolio, which we're now realizing. Uh, REOs, uh, when we get REOs through the system today, which again, with the foreclosure moratoriums, uh, we can't always do. Uh, but when we can, let's say on a property that's vacant and we are allowed to foreclose, we're putting those on the market, multiple offers, selling them at huge gains. So I think 2021 will be a um, an exceptionally good year in, in both of our outstanding funds. How does, how does that translate for investors uh, now, Georgia, in, in term, because usually there's a fixed return. Uh, has that sort of, uh, and, and, and what is it now? And, and have sure. you been able to meet those uh, demands? Yeah, we pay the first per, uh, a predetermined percentage to investors, uh, provided we, we have a money available. So in the uh, HP servicing fund, we pay the first 10% of what we earn to investors in, uh, and that's a 10% annual return. In, uh, in the next upcoming funds, which are AHP title and pre-REO, we expect to pay the first 7% annual return to investors. We've done, uh, f- there's multiple funds that were paid, that predate these funds where all the investors have been paid, including all their, their, um, their predetermined returns. And so that's what we pay. So we, and then people say, what happens if you make more than that? Where does that money go? That's what we earn. So basically at the end of this, at the end of each of these funds, uh, we return all the money to investors. They've gotten all their returns. Whatever's left is ours. So the more we can make, you know, the more there is for us at the end, uh, to the extent we um, succeed in our, in our mission. And these have been bumpy. These last couple of years have been bumpy first with the leadership change, which didn't um, go quite as well as hoped. And I'll elaborate a little bit. We brought in a, um, a, a new replacement CEO from a, um, a large bank, and she was um, uh, good in some ways. She she kind of added uh, a structure, management structure to the company that was helpful, but was conservative in in investments and dispositions of investments, and that kind of dampened the the returns. So I've brought that back, uh, but it's been with COVID COVID hitting, it's been a little bit challenging to show those results until this year. Sure. And, and, and then uh, have those have those impacted the investor returns or have they been? No, we've had enough cash available. So think about this. We still have a lot of money that comes in every month on performing loans. Again, it's because we've just been holding these. We have a lot of money that comes in, you know, if somebody pays off a loan or settles a loan. Uh, so with the exception of the first couple of months of COVID, where for a while we weren't selling REOs, people were having trouble paying their mortgages. There were a couple of months where we were several days late uh, with our returns, um, distributing returns, because we probably, I, I recall, we were, we were just squeaking by in terms of having available cash. But now we're back to the point where we have significant available cash. 
So bottom line is, folks, the uh, returns have been pretty darn consistent. You know, going from, you know, 10 down to 7 and stuff, you might be wondering why, but I assume, you know, what you're seeing across the board is that this kind of impact happens when there is incredibly low interest rates. Yields go down too. Uh, and so that's that's what you're seeing here, George. Uh, if people want to get involved, how do they how do they invest? And you know they can just let it compound too, right? So your seven percent might actually end up, you know, compounding on itself and becoming like nine percent a year or something like that. How how does it all work? Sure. So investors can choose, as you said, they can choose to each month have their their uh, returns distributed to them, or they can also choose to have them um, reinvested and you're right. So that would create a compounding effect. That's only an effect for the first two years of a fund. As long as it's open to investment, we can accept reinvestments. Actually with HP servicing, we were able to extend it for three years or up to three years. Uh, it'll close uh, the day that HP title uh, offering goes live, which should be in the next month or so. So today an investor can go to hpservicing.com and uh, learn more about the investment. If they choose, they can make an investment. Uh, fast forward a couple of months and that the, we'll be able to say the same for ahptitle.com and preario.com. So everyone check all those things out. George is, uh, like I said, he's one of the one of the smartest entrepreneurs I know I've ever met. And, um, you know, it's funny when when there was a change in leadership a little bit, I was a little bit uh, nervous because I know, you know, George is the special sauce. So it's nice to see George back in the uh, in control over there. And uh, anytime George is involved, I think you have a, you've got some pretty good, uh, pretty good odds in your favor. George, thanks so much for being Wealth Formula Podcast again, and uh, we will make sure that you stay in the lead and come back in a few months. <laughs> I appreciate that, Buck. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. I always uh, enjoy talking to my friend, George Newberry. And, you know, take from it what you will. I mean, I think, you know, George is looking at the the numbers. I am not in the single family market. I tend to think that we are in a, a better position. Uh, of course, I, I believe that to be the case in the first place, why, why we're so heavily in the working class market in multifamily with heavy emphasis in, you know, heavy growth markets. I think, in my opinion, we're somewhat shielded against some of the issues he talks about. And in fact, it might actually be beneficial to us. But beware, buyer beware, if you are looking uh, in, if you're sitting in those single family markets, um, especially the ones that are not as robust when it comes to jobs and stuff, listen to what George is saying. And on the other hand, you know, it may make sense for you to hedge your bets because these kinds of bad markets that George is talking about and sort of predicting are actually very good for what he does. So check it out. AHP Servicing, which used to be American Homeowner Preservation, has been you know a very, very solid investment opportunity for a lot of people in our uh, audience. And uh, one of the nice things is that although I would say that probably, you know, more listeners and not in our show are accredited, uh, this is something that a non-accredited investor can do and get a, get a taste of what, you know, uh, you can, you can get in the non, uh, you know, publicly traded market. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. We will see you next week. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, 
consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.